I've got to be honest with you, man. Like last night's Suns game. That one was so aggravating. I I was like right back at nine or ten years old, like where I just have to stop watching. Like I actually at about nine o'clock. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to bed because otherwise I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch the rest of this. And I'm going to be so furious. It's going to take me an extra hour and a half to go to sleep tonight. And I just I can't do it. So I I mean, it's one of those things. It's you can't take anything away from them. They're playing out of their brains. They're going berserk. And they're they're actually kind of fun to watch. Just I, if they I would weren't love playing to watch us, them play anyone other than us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, and it's just it just hurts so much to watch somebody play so awesome, and then the other team just completely not be there, or not not well, completely, but like it's just it's sure. like they don't look like the way they're supposed to look. Look, man, here's the thing: we played a horrible first half of basketball, and we were up by two points. Yeah. Because that's how much better than them we actually are. Right. However, you can't play four bad quarters <laughs> right. in a game and think right. you're going to get away with it. Like, and just, Or even three, because that third quarter, they came out and blitzed us. I just, uh, it's it, so frustrating. Like, And I mean, like, I you can't, we're better. You can't ask the centers to do any more. The center, no. the big men are doing everything they're supposed to. They're actually playing great. Chris mm-hmm. Paul is being Chris Paul. Like he can't do, he's a hundred years old. He's th- yeah. Yeah. Easy. Hey. He's 37. <laughs> we're we're going to want to be careful about how we exaggerate that particular number. my friend. I tell you what, if I played that game, I would feel like a hundred years old, but like just, there weren't the, the guards aren't adapting at all. Like there was like, there was two three pointer blocks. Like, how does that happen? Like well, you, you should see the guy coming from a mile away. They just weren't changing. They were just, they look like they didn't know how to be there. Well, and, you know, we've got guys who are scared to shoot, like Tory Craig, who I love as a bench player. But like three times, he got swung a wide open three-pointer. And it's like, look, man, I don't even care if you make it. You have to take that. Mm-hmm. You have to. Um, but, yeah, <sighs> I don't know, man. I still, I still feel like we're going to win. Like we're, again, Pelicans fans, I, if you're listening to this, Again, all the love and respect for your team. I can't imagine how terrifying they would be if Zion Williamson were actually able to play. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's no freaking way that this series should be this close, even with Booker injured. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. And it just, uh, yeah, there's so much stuff there that, <sighs> yeah. Again, like, I think it, maybe that's an adjustment to because when you rely on Booker to to generate so much plays and then sure. everybody kind of fills in the gaps around him, now you need somebody to generate. And McHale's not cutting. Uh, Cam's not cutting. Uh, uh, campaign actually scored a couple of points. That was the first time I seen him make a basket all series. <laughs> Freaking ridiculous. Uh, but finally, if he can cut, then that's something that's generated and that opens up things and so yeah oh i don't know man i i my heart is if it's not like a thumping on the pelicans on tuesday like i'm not going to be able to handle thursday like i'm just my anxiety is going to be too much oh and you know i i'm not sure what to make of the fact that they felt the need to announce today that booker would not be playing in game five since it was like a two to three week injury but then there was like an espn release booker is not available for game five and i'm like Okay, so if I want to take this glass half full, Booker's doing well enough already that there was a possibility he could be back. Well, I what I heard is that the uh, the timeline is not nobody has announced the timeline, so it's all made up. Yeah. So oh yeah, it's a secret timeline, and so everybody's like, oh, two to three weeks. They're like, nobody nobody said that. So yeah, everybody's just feeling. So that- that's the glass half full is like, oh, okay, so he's actually, maybe he'll be back sooner. The Arizona sports fan in me, on the other hand, which yeah. is, by the way, the opposite of an optimist. Um, <laughs> the Arizona sports fan in me is like, oh, great. We're going to bring him back so that he can do some like serious damage trying to play through and overcompensate something and then go like the entire first half of next year without him. 
that's what that's what actually in the back of my head when I saw that yeah. announcement, I was like, mm, yeah, let's uh, let's not. Yeah, Kristen let's, made the point that that they were starting to fall off towards the end, like they were super hot at the beginning, but then towards the end of the season, you started to see them lose games. They were getting more losses towards the end of the season, and you know. I was like, she's like, it seemed like they were cooling off as the season went on. And then you're seeing them still continue to cool off in the playoffs. And you're like, oh, crap, I didn't realize that. And it kind of looks like that a little. It, it might be. I don't know, man. I, I also think towards the end of the season, they were trying to conserve know, work the guys old, back yeah. into the rotation. They were taking nights off for some yeah. of their major players. That's what I said, yeah. too. But at the same time, it's like watching baseball. You know, like you got to manage the marathon. Sure. Like if you don't have your foot on the pedal at the right time, then you lose. Even if you're the best team in baseball, the hot team beats the better team every time, you know? So it's, it, yeah, it, but I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm annoyed, but I'm not overly concerned at this point. Uh, and yeah, this audio might come back to haunt me. <laughs> that's, uh, all, that's all right. But I'm all right with it. We like, live in Arizona sports. We are haunted exactly. already. Like it's exactly. not, I mean, for crying out loud, I was just watching uh, the Diamondbacks a little bit ago, watching our <sighs> pitcher who had like a .59 ERA uh, through three starts go out and give up two runs right away in the first because, of course, he did. We're playing the Dodgers. Why would things go well? Ugh, God, I hate the Dodgers. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Okay. We should probably get into this. So just so you get you folks know, like it's the Suns are in the playoffs. Like we just said, Arizona teams. We don't, we're not good often. And so we're very, very excited to be good two years in a row. It's very exciting for us. We do like little watch parties. It goes mm-hmm. back in our history. Like AJ and I, we used to meet up at a particular borrows and like move the tables around so that they face the TV and, and were loud and obnoxious. And so it's Scarfed like a bunch of pizza while dipping it all into the extra wing sauce. Oh, yes. Gotten, like, mm, Absolutely. Mm, mm, mm. And so it's a thing for us. So, uh, Hopefully you don't mind it because we're going, going we're going there. That's that's us. <laughs> All right, let's hit that intro. Welcome to the podcast, Blue Collar Scholars. Not long ago, a group of brilliant minds met together at a pub to discuss their unfinished works. They recognized the value of coming together around delicious beverages and having meaningful conversations. That group was known as the Inklings. The Inkle Do Podcast here, we're working to be the second iteration of that group. So pour yourself a craft beverage, pull up a chair, and join the conversation. All right, man, uh, have you had anything delicious to drink lately? Yeah, you know, actually, um, at the Suns watch party when we watched their their victory um, together, I brought over some of the Four Peaks, their hazy IPA, and I really liked it. I mean, in general... I like hazy IPAs, I mm-hmm. like IPAs in general, you know, all of that. But especially, I just, I don't know, there's just something in the hazies where they lean a little bit more into some of the citrus side of things. Very uh, juicy, yeah. That just, yeah, exactly. And it just really, especially, you know, we were finger fooding it, like had some wings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it was just, I don't know, man, it just hit right. Um, Four Peaks, I feel like, does a pretty good job. Uh, they're solid hazy IPA. Yeah. I mean, in general, they're just, they're a good solid brewery. And I like the fact that we've got, uh, you know, one of the Arizona brewers who has made it semi big, like they're at least regionally available. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's still good quality beer that they're putting out, uh, in spite of being under the Anheuser-Busch umbrella. Right. Yeah. I, I partook in what you brought over and I agree it is it is pretty solid. I remembered it being fruitier that night mm. and then uh, I stole one while we were watching the game last night and it's actually fairly hoppy. Like it, it's a lot hoppier than I remember. Like just sit, eating it purely by itself, I was like, "Wow, this is this is really a an IPA." Like I didn't remember it I remember being like, oh, yeah, that's juicy. It's sweet. It's not that big a deal. But then the second time when I didn't have all the food and, and things, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, this is actually a, a real IPA. Like, it's hoppy. Oh, yeah. yeah um, no, they, they did it. And that's one of the things that I like when you can do a good job like that where um, 
it is both and it kind of chameleons its way into Mm -hmm. what you're doing like if you're just looking to sit there and drink the beer and enjoy it it'll be a good solid ipa for you but it's a balance with some of the spicier uh heavier foods and stuff yeah, it does the, a good job. Yeah, the both and instead of either or. Mm-hmm. I will say one of the things that uh, I knew but was reinforced was the importance of pouring a beer into a glass. Ah, uh, like I I didn't realize how important that is because I was I felt like a balloon afterwards, like like I was so bloated and i was like why do i feel this i was like this feels awful and i and i mean i've drank like i've I've had beer before you know Mm -hmm. but like i always pour it in a glass and we just drank from the cans because it was just convenient we were just like you said finger food we're walking around doing stuff and and I'm like, ugh. And your it, poor wife had plenty of cleaning to do without us getting a bunch of glasses out. Exactly, them. right? So I, I I, regretted it for sure. And I was like, <laughs> I I've forever will pour into a glass now. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, you have to because they're so carbonated because they're meant to pour so that mm-hmm. it has a head in the glass because that's how beer is supposed to be drank. But if you just drink it, then it goes into your stomach and it foams up in your stomach <laughs> and you feel like a balloon. And so it, it was a, a reaffirmation of the lessons I had learned prior. So it was uh, one of those things. But anywho, so life lessons early, folks. Pour there your you beer go. into yeah. a glass. Okay. So I have, I know, I don't remember it was a couple episodes ago probably in the athanasius episode where i committed to reading the book and yeah it's too far away i was gonna grab it but it's too far away uh (laughs) but i have finished the book uh, on the incarnation and it was really good it's i i expected it to be like a head scratcher you know, like reading Thomas Aquinas or something where you're just like, mm-hmm. it's either like so much that it's dry or that it's so layered that it you have to remember 57 pages back to understand the page that you're on now. And and it's really not that. Like it, it's pretty uh, foundational and it's very much from a Christian perspective. So it's operating f- from a, a load of assumptions that are already in place. So it's kind of building on top of it. So uh, very easy to access and logical, and it's repetitive. So you didn't have to go back five pages because he would kind of reiterate. Mm-hmm. He would layer it. So every time he layered, he would repeat each layer kind of a thing. So so it was there, and, and not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But there was one part, and there, there was a lot of it I liked, but then once I started to get towards the – um, and so there's like the first part is, I don't know, reasoning and justification. Okay. And then the, the second half is like proofs or response to. So he's responding to the Jews and then he's responding to the Greeks. And uh, Athanasius being in Alexandria, trained by Greeks. So it was basically the Jews and the Greeks were the two interacting with Christianity on either side. And so he responds to both. And it was really interesting the the proof to the Jews kind of shook me up a little bit. And then it kind of followed up in the, in the response to the Greeks as well. Mm-hmm. And so one of the proofs to the Jews was that after Christ, like all of the things from Judaism stopped and, and he's using like, this is proof to you. Like, like he's using the a Dan, Daniel prophecy of 70 weeks, something like, um, hang on. I wrote it in the notes. I wrote it in the notes. <laughs> I don't want to 70 weeks, 70 weeks. Prophecy. It's like Daniel nine, I think something like that. And he's basically saying that, look, after Christ, there, there's no more prophets. You haven't had a prophet since Christ. And then after that, you haven't had a King. Like there are no more Jewish Kings. Mm-hmm. And after that, like the um, uh, the, the temple temple was raised, so you really don't have a priest anymore. So after Christ, you have no prophet, priest, or king. Uh, 
So basically, Judaism stops. You know, kind of a thing. Like, not really stop. But you know what I'm saying? Right. But like, hey, there's a there's an end point in in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So like, there's a transition point, and he's kind of saying, look, you're missing the transition point. Like the stuff that you had before stopped because it finished in Christ, and now we're moving forward. But but you're not making it through that transition point. Right. And then he uh, kind of goes into his response to the Greeks was that the, you know, with Christ, all of the other stuff stops. So like magic and um, uh, all kinds of, like all of the superstitious type of things that the, that the other pagan religions would have had at the time. Mm-hmm. That that stuff stops at Christ too. And so like he's basically stating that at this point, at this point of Christ, the world changes. It's different. Like he comes and it's a different world after as it was before than it was before. And I thought it was really the the thing that really got to me was the the no more prophet, priests, or kings. And I just remember rolling with some I've rolled with a couple of different groups and Everybody was always wanted a title, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, a lot of them will make. I mean, you have reverends, and you have like all of these different titles. And I have people that call themselves apostles, and I have people that call themselves prophets, and, and you know they ha- they create these titles, and I and that made sense to me because again, like I said, like my point in Christianity is sadly like a job where you have a title and your title allows you a certain level of authority, a certain level of action, a certain level of trust kind of a thing. Right. And mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to promote up to get more. And then there's those who have claimed this grander title, whom you assume have a greater authority, have a greater, this greater faith, all of these things. But then as I'm reading this, it just kind of made me reflect back. And it's like, well, hang on. It, it kind of seems like, there are no more titles after Christ. So like after Christ, there are no more actual prophets. There's the gift of prophecy. There Mm -hmm. are no more kings, but there is a gift of leadership. And there are no more priests, which there are is like the gifts of prayer and and intercession or, you know, like all of the more sacrifice. Right. There's Which no. Which was like the primary job of the priest was to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. Right. And that's gone. Right. There, there's the the one per yeah. There was the one person that was between the people and God, and that is gone. Mm-hmm. And and so you're like oh and then so I was just sitting there like well, crap. I feel like I just found out that like my job title was a sham, and that I don't actually have any sort of like titled um not power but authority like any sort of progress or achievement or something does that make sense like it it does it just kind of felt like it was the officialness of the work that i've been doing was just kind of removed yeah and i think that's i think it's understandable that you would feel that way i mean you know i i love the fact that Athanasius, if you think about it, what he's basically telling the Jewish people is, okay, so after Christ, you kind of have two options as the Jewish people when you look at your covenant relationship with Yahweh. Either Christ is the fulfillment of it and is the Messiah, and so God has fulfilled his promise and invited you into this new fullness of covenant, or Yahweh has just like ghosted you basically. Right. right. Like, all of these things that had been his means of communication with you before, they're gone. You know, that you had all these prophets who were pointing to the Messiah. Christ showed up. He is the prophet. He is the spokesman for God. He is God's mouth, his word literally for you. Mm-hmm. You had these kings who were entrusted with ruling and guiding and shepherding the people. And then you had Christ, who is the king descended from heaven, come to earth to rule once and for all. And his kingdom that he's inviting us to is in heaven. And we're either going to accept the invite or not. 
And, you know, you've got all these priests who are offering sacrifice. Well, that was taken care of, as St. Paul says, once and for all in the sacrifice mm-hmm. on the cross. Like, there's, there's literally nothing else to be offered anymore. And so for the Jewish people, you know, they find themselves, they've still got, you know, rabbis, teachers, they mm-hmm. still have these people who are able to interpret the word, but what they don't have is any new word. Mm. And like, when you look at uh, even just sort of the the history and the timeline on the, the Old Testament, like the books of Maccabees uh, are like the most recent Old Testament books prior to the time of Christ. And it's like maybe 70 to 100 years before Christ, something like that ballpark, if I'm remembering right. So not much, not a long time before Christ. And we've got 2,000 years after and there's been no new prophets. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know much about Judaism to know, mm-hmm. but I mean, like you would, you would think you would, in the world of social media, if there was somebody stirring the pot, they would be they would be made out to be a loony, right? Because almost certainly, and just so you you would see something, you'd hear something, like you always hear about these you know claims of false messiahs and people claiming yes. to be this and that. So like you would think that something would have trickled up to the top of the surface at some point. And I also feel like if you look at it, like they've been forced to reconcile that, and mm-hmm. and. And so then you have to reason all of these things kind of away. And you and so it makes sense that you have a very progressive or liberal um like a lot of Judaism or at least in America, all right, American Judaism. Of course it also comes along with a history of being uh, terrorized and treated terribly like you're going to lean away from anything that might be even reminiscent of what you've gone through. So like there's a lot of cultural and historical aspects that move towards, you know, that left leaning as well. But at the same time, like you've had to, I, and I say this because when I was at ASU studying religion, for some reason, all of my teachers were Jewish. I have no idea why I don't, I like, it was, I, I had so many Jewish teachers. And so I was always like, I was supposed to be studying, um, like, the philosophy of prayer and it was supposed to be like this all around understanding of prayer in all religions, but it was a Jewish teacher. So we learned Judy, uh, Jewish prayers. That's it. Like our textbook was a Jewish prayer book. And I was like, that's all, that's all we're going to learn. So that's what we learned. And so like, it, it was a really weird experience that I was expecting this very well-rounded, but I came out with this very like liberal Judaism education. Like I, my, some of my classes were on liberal Judaism and, and, so I feel comfortable in saying some of these things in that, you know, you have to, when you're forced with something and you, you can't find the Messiah or you have no new word, which I really love the way that you said that. If you have no new word, you have to start, you need it. You're craving it. And so you're going to start right. digging and you're going to start reasoning and be like, oh, well, why is this not here? Oh, and then you're going to fill in, try to fill in the blanks and or- things like that. Or like the the flip side of it, because there's also, you know, the the very strict like Hasidic Jews where it's like, well, okay, so then what we have is what we're just going to latch on to like fiercely. Right. And but either way, like, again, regardless of what response you come to, uh, you come there sort of unmoored. Like you don't have that foundational spot. You are. You're, you're already trying to swim back to the surface of the water hmm. to catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of why uh, it makes so much sense that when you're talking about this idea of having lost that sense of the title, the mm-hmm. official role, uh, I think it makes sense for those a lot of those same reasons. They're not stretched out over history quite as long as like when we're talking about you know, the entirety of the Jewish people. Right. You know, but over the course of a person's lifetime, rather than over the course of a people's history, you're kind of experiencing that same thing on the condensed timeline where, you know, yeah, early on, there is a great deal of comfort that comes from defined roles. Mm-hmm. From, That's true. Like, okay, you know what? I know Jesus 
is real and that I know what he did for me and I know he's called me to do something, but I don't know what. So Mm -hmm. like I need, you know, you made the analogy in the notes and I freaking love it about the idea of like the open world video games (laughs) where you can do whatever you want. Uh, And it's like, I hate those so much. And see, and here's the thing though, like, and this is not a point of pride or bragging on my point because <laughs> it's not. This is actually whew, uh, 37 years old. This is not something I should be flexing on. But again, I think part of it is because of like amount of time playing video games. Like when you've played the storyline through, like on the set, like from A to B to C to D video games, when you've played it enough times where you kind of know how things are going to go, there's not the level of excitement there. And so an open world game where it's like, okay, cool. I already know the general framework in order for this game to happen and make sense. Here are kind of some ultimate things that need to happen. Here are some things that in pretty much every kind of video game I'm going to have to do. You know, like I've got to level up my character somehow, whatever that means in this game's particular mechanics. Got to improve my equipment. I've got to build connections. I've got to do these things. But it becomes you're entrusted with deciding how you want to go about doing those things. And so it can be very freeing. However, again, with that analogy coming back to the, the Christianity side of things. Yeah, absolutely. When you're first coming into the faith, like, all right. You know, there are some people who have these gifts. There are some people who have these gifts. The people who have these gifts, we want them to do this. The people who have these gifts, we want them to do that. It's like, okay, cool. I have a framework. But at the same time, uh, the people who tend to give themselves the titles or claim for themselves the titles, I should say. It's not that they're just giving it to themselves. They're, They're, I would say the vast majority of the time. They're doing it on all of the best reasoning and all of the best intentions. They are noticing that they have these gifts. They want to put them at the service of God. And this is the way that they think is best for them to do that. Awesome. And so they they go forward and they do that. But then what ends up happening is either they burn out on that role or they just realize that there's more and they begin doing something else as well. You know, like they, they kind of start to recognize the, the seasonal nature of some of those gifts mm-hmm. or at least the, the application of those gifts has to change, you know? And I think that's largely kind of what we have to understand with our own call. Cause Athanasius is right that there wasn't a new, priest a new prophet a new king afterwards because like we said earlier jesus was all three of those Mm -hmm. perfected and so what's happened instead is now when we're baptized into christ when we are his body we are priest prophet and king in our participation in jesus christ and so we still perform those roles but not fully Because we're not the full priest. We're not the full prophet. We're not the full king. Hmm. But we have this sampling of them. This unique part of those three roles that we as, you know, the pinky toe of the body of Christ, you know, we still participate in it. And so we've got that role to do. And there are some people who are more one than the other. But ultimately, none of us are the fullness of it. And so it's about finding how do we how do we apply those in the circumstances that Christ has given us so for example you know you can say oh well what do i do without my role as king ask your daughters if you have a role as king like yeah you are the administrator of your house you are the protector and the shepherd over your children and over your wife and like you have those kingly responsibilities there You know, ask them, ask my students if I'm a prophet. On some level, yeah, it's my job to be like, no, 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 I I understand you're hearing this a lot, but here's why that's bullcrap. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we do still have those roles, but we need to recognize that they're not ours. I think that's a big one there too, because I'm, I, I think you're giving a lot more grace than I was, um, in all, or assuming better than I was. And, you know, I wrote about it in last week's blog in that, Mm -hmm. you know, my, a lot of my experiences with them, or I don't know, a lot of them or a primary experience I had with it was, was less of a gen, like more seemed more of like a, a, manipulation of a virtue to, to prove your value to, you know, it was like a workspace, like look how special I am. And it was a vanity project type of a thing or, or to prove that they had special standing in Christ. And it was just like the, like the disciples at the table saying, you know, who, who's the best one? Like you got, I know you picked 12, but like, which one's really the best? Uh-huh. Like it's me, right? Like I'm special in this group, aren't I? Or even worse, taking the James and John route and having your mom go up and talk to <laughs> Jesus for you. That's fantastic. I mean, but, come on now. Like <laughs> but, but that's what it what it felt like. You know, like it's a lot of people trying to be uh special, trying trying to cut out, you know, their space and like in the kingdom of God and say, like, I'm I'm meaningful, I'm special. And this mm-hmm. is one of the things that I've really struggled with is one. So, so like I, I learned that. And so that was been my approach, you know, like I have to carve out my space in the kingdom of God so that I, I'm valuable so that like, when I get there, it's going to be like, look, I, I did this thing. Like I, I'm, I fought the good fight type of a thing. Uh Right. And I have this proof to it per se. And, and then when you take, so if you take that away, then it, this and this is where it, so you know like I've kind of built a lot of my understanding and my framework around vanity projects, which when they shatter, then you're you're left with this like okay, well then what am I freaking supposed to do? Like I am I am I now not important, right? Because mm-hmm. like if I can't carve out my own space, if I can't, for lack of a better word, earn a name for myself. Which again, you know, there's so much language in this and the works based and the like, you know, like I know my link, there's the language is what it is, but like it, when you come down to just kind of like the raw piece of it, it's just like, okay, well, I'm just, you know, another fish in the sea, another drop in the ocean, grain of sand on the beach. I'm not special. And so you can't, like, how do you become special when you're, just another one of the mass that's, you know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think it ties back to when we were talking about, you know, um, watching the way that different aspects of the Jewish community have tried to grapple with the reality that Athanasius points out to them, that it can go in a couple of different ways. And yeah, you know, I, I should make clear, I'm talking about how people start off on claiming their titles and claiming their authorities and claiming their positions. The ones who like, like you said, feel like they have to hold on to it. This is their justification. This is their purpose. They're confident that this is, they started off confident that this is what God has called them to do. And now it has become something which they desperately have to cling to because they don't know what else there Mm -hmm. can be. And, I think part of it, and I, man, you know, no disrespect to any of the people who use this language because, like, I love the concept behind what they're saying, but it's one of those things that just sounds way too, like, pop psychology for me. And so, like, my my skin kind of crawls (laughs) a little bit, (laughs) even though it's true. It's like, it's that idea of, like, we've got to remember we're human beings, not human doing. And, like... Mm -hmm. The reality is God doesn't love us or value us because of what we do. Mm -hmm. He values us because of what he created us to be. And like, that's the problem is that we think about ourselves as being this one grain of sand out of many. Uh, 
And I'm going to go ahead and tap into our inkling roots a little bit here and go to, to Tolkien. Cause one of the things we've talked about in the past is like Tolkien, you know, he'll spend, and I, it's an exaggeration, but he'll spend like pages describing a tree mm-hmm. and you sit there and you force yourself to read through it because you know, at some point it's going to come back. It never comes back. <laughs> like there's, this is not something that's going to be paid off later. This tree doesn't play another major role. But at the same time, Tolkien is the creator of this universe. And if the creator of this universe falls in love with the work that he's done in creating this tree, you can forgive him for that. Even if you from the outside don't totally understand why. Like, Mm. God... In the same way, like for us, we look at it, we look at ourselves uh, oftentimes because we are, uh, you know, either scrupulous in some cases or at the at the best, we're just very aware of our mistakes. We tend to remember our mistakes more than we remember our victories. And so we look at ourselves and we're like, oh, there's no way that God looks at me and sees his beloved son, his beloved daughter. He's got to be looking at me and seeing this uh, pile of crap that I am Mm -hmm. after all of these things that I've done. And the reality is that, yeah, no, no, God sees all those things that you've done. And yeah, let's let's not kid ourselves. He's he's not happy about it. He's heartbroken, though, not angry, heartbroken, because we have once again managed to undersell just what an incredible work of art God made us. And we've chosen things beneath our dignity and it breaks his heart. But his heart breaks because he loves us. Because he knows what we really are at our core. And so at our core, we're not a priest, we're not a prophet, we're not a king. We're a creation of God, most high, a reflection of his image and likeness. And so all of those jobs, all of those titles are ways that we can express that goodness in our creation. But we can't put the cart before the horse on this. We've got to remember the goodness of our creation is where these titles flow from, not the other way around. The goodness of who we are isn't based on our success in these roles or in these titles. Hmm. Yeah. That no, those are. It's a really good point, you know. Like, and that's something that I've struggled with a lot. Is the, you know, it, it's funny. There's a, a lot of people always, you know, talk about how you know would you treat other people the way you treat yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and like I, I don't have any problem seeing the innate value in other people, right? So like I can, I can see that value and want to cultivate it and want to help it. But like, I have never been able to apply that inwardly, like, or back at myself and be like, Oh, here's this innate value. You know, like I constantly defining myself by things that I do versus things that I am. And so it's, it's really a strange thing to be able to see it in other people, but then like have this block that like can't, can't bring it back here because if I could bring it back here, then I could actually get full circle and start growing on some stuff. Can't have that. Um, (laughs) And so like I, it's, it's, that's why I think these things just, they just keep rocking me is because like I, they're, I have these things that are built on unstable, fragile ground, you know, like titles type of a thing. Like, doing basically like trying to earn your way in. Like I'm mm-hmm. you're, when you're doing it wrong constantly, you're always going to be frustrated because you've been doing it wrong, you know, type of a thing, but changing it is so hard. And it, and it feels like, again, going back to my blog post, it feels like those things like wanting to be humble, you know, like wanting to do it the right way feels like saying, okay, I'm going to start being humble now which we all know how that goes. Like the moment you say, I'm going to be humble, you're instantly proud. You know, like it's, it's the, you cannot just like, how do you, 
how do you try to achieve virtue, right? Like how do you intentionally try to achieve a virtue without it becoming a vice? You know, like, like, it's like the humble thing. Like when I say I'm going to be humble and you end up being proud of how humble you are or Mm -hmm. type of a thing. So where like, when you're trying to be virtuous, you, you almost always result in being not virtuous. Virtue is almost like the, a secondary or a retrospective or, you know, something that has to do with the, like a secondary to a, a main mission. I think when you're talking about this idea of how to grow in virtue and you're talking about how it can become a vice, I would say one of the things is there's a difference between working at a virtue and accomplishing it. And I think, because this goes back to what you were talking about with humility, like saying that you're going to work on humility is not a problem. It's not something that's going Mm -hmm. to be vicious, at least not automatically. It's once you start thinking that you've succeeded, like the, the Mm. idea of setting a virtue as a finish line. And this is where I definitely agree with what you were saying about it being like a secondary result is the primary result going back to, uh, I think it's like, I want to say it's Matthew, like five twenty five or something like that, where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father, even as your Mm. heavenly father is perfect. And Like, that's the goal. And here's the thing about that goal. If you think you have achieved perfection, even as your heavenly father is perfect, then yeah, you're screwed. You done, you done messed up. (laughs) But at the same time, like if that's the pursuit, if that's what we're striving after, even knowing that it's not something we're going to accomplish in, in our life, then we will, as a result, end up becoming more humble, more courageous, more, you know, we, we'll develop all of those virtues. We'll be more faithful. We'll be more hopeful. We'll be more loving because we're becoming more. We're not becoming those things, but we're becoming more than. Mm. And I think that's where, uh, again, man, two times in one podcast, I'm going to go saying some pop psychology stuff here, <laughs> but like, oh, uh, anyway, but it is, it's one of those things like the, the fake it till you make it does hold some value. That idea of, you know what, honestly, by practice and repetition, how do we get better at anything else? You know? So the basic one is figuring out how to handle failing because you got to have that figured out before you try any of the other stuff. Cause you know, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's some bad news for you. If you don't know how to handle your failure yeah. and you're setting out to grow in virtue. And so like, yeah, even if it feels uh, hollow and meaningless when you find yourself failing to actually like just whether it's out loud, written down in a journal, whatever it is that works for you to be like, you know what? <sighs> Today didn't go the way I wanted it to. I messed up by doing this, but you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. And I'm going to do a better job of it tomorrow. Even if you feel like you're just like saying hollow, empty words to yourself, you are at first. Yeah. You got to kind of train yourself. Like eventually you'll start to like think about all the years of negative self-talk you've got built in. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be something that goes away in one or two days of like trying to force yourself to be encouraging to yourself. But you're going to have to commit to it. Yeah. And. You know, yeah, man, I. It's interesting, like uh, the the self talk and the the failure piece is clicking with me a lot. You know, like spending some time in, um, you know, dealing with some repetitive actions that have uh, you know stained a majority of my life. When you're going through, when you're stuck in a cycle. You know, like you, you say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then you go do it, you know, something bad happens and then you end up, you, you, you know, like there's a a line that said, you know, addicts don't, aren't addicts because they are, because they hate the world. They're, they're addicts because they hate themselves. And, and so that's one of those things to where it's like when you're in those cycles and you say, I'm not going to, and then you do it and then you, you shame yourself. And then you're like in this vicious cycle 
that's where the the work stuff start to be because you have to start proving something because you've told your you you committed to something you failed yourself and then and you know and it, god if you applied it to that you know which of course i did and so when you say oh i failed myself and god so consistently that you're like i have to do something to to i'm going to get kicked off the team right you know like it, i got to do something and so when it's so repetitive there you again that shame is why you can't why i can't apply the innate created value to myself and but can see it in others you know and then it's also like the work based is because like i i'm trying to make sure i don't get kicked off the team like i got to do something you know like i haven't brought any value to the table because i've just done all of these failures and you're right like learning to fail is one of those things that you have, and we, I remember sitting at the farmer's market and us talking about growth mindset and those things like that. And that's where I really, when we had those conversations, I was starting to pick up on that and, and realizing that it's, you know, it's falling forward type of a thing. Like you're just constantly falling forward and, you know, eventually you'll pick yourself up and you'll make it two steps and then you'll make it three steps. And then, but you're, you're going to keep falling. You just keep falling forward. And again, awareness is the biggest piece of that. And which is why these conversations and reading and all this crap is so important is because if you don't interact with the other, if you don't get these different influences, and this, I'm going to jump right into life lesson. If you don't get these different inputs, if you don't interact with these different things, these different perspectives, you're not going to have the light shine on all of your shadows, right? You're not going to become aware of these things. Like you cannot just sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to dig out all of my crap. Sorry. You're going to dig out the top level that doesn't hurt at all. And it's not until you go to someone else and they just like turn the floodlight on and you're like, freaking A, you know, like I didn't, I didn't see that whole pile right there, man. And then you got to start digging again. And so that's why, again, conversations, reading and reading different things is so important because that's where you you gain the awareness. You, you know, self-awareness is not something that you can just achieve by force of will. It comes from comparing and contrasting and inputting and reflection of your own experiences, which again, reflection is comparing and contrasting. So like you have to have input to compare and gain awareness. So uh, my life lesson is definitely read, talk, listen and reflect so that you can actually get the awareness of these things so that you can, again, move some of this crap out so that you can start building uh, on good foundation. Yeah, man. And I, I, I love that. I think that's really key and part of the reason why God created us for a community. Like mm -hmm. we are, we're created for each other. Um, I think for me, my life lesson really does tie into that um, kind of foundational idea we were talking about. And I know it, again, going to bring it up to three because might as well <laughs> pop, pop psychology <laughs> moments for me, even though it's just a repeat. But like, again, that focus on recognize your value for who you are instead of for what you do. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is everything you do there's going to be a time when you don't hmm. like, you know, uh, if you value yourself based on what you're able to do in your workplace, what happens when you're no longer able to work? If you value yourself based on your, you know, athletic ability, your physical gifts, eh, they're going to fade far quicker than you plan on. Uh, even when you start off rather limited in what you're able to do, the limits are coming even more. Uh, heck, even your intellect, you know, like, oh, you know, they, they can't take our mind. Oh, no, actually, time does. Mm -hmm. Like, that's going to fade, too. Mm -hmm. You know, even the very seemingly very good and noble things, whether we're talking about being a prophet or being a priest or being a king, like all of those sound lovely on a much more human level. I had a huge tendency to value myself based on my ability to be there for the people who I love, mm -hmm. who I care about, my friends yep. and family. And yeah, you know what? That's a good thing to do, to be there for them. 
but there are some times where I can't like they're, they're beyond my reach. And like, that's not a failure on my part. That's a limitation. Mm-hmm. And those two things are different and we've oh, got to be man. able to separate them. So like once mm. we realize who we are, that we are limited beings, but limited beings that nevertheless reflect the image and likeness of the of our infinite creator who has loved us into existence and who continues to love us and sustain us now. Like when we realize that's our foundational spot, then again, the failures are a temporary thing. Because our our souls and that image and likeness were created in, that's what's permanent, man. Hmm. Not the things we're doing. Man, that whole failure, limitations is not a failure. That was freaking good. <laughs> never, never once considered a limitation as just a limited, like always, always have viewed it as a failure. Man, yeah, that was a good one. Oh, yeah. Right on, right on. Well, everybody, we hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you would like to support these conversations, uh, one, share them. Please share them. Help other people hear these conversations. We think they're meaningful. We, we hope they have an impact. And if you would like to support the conversations, uh, we recommend going to our website, inkledew.com, buying a bag or two of coffee. We roast it fresh, ship it to you, and that's how we support our mission for meaningful conversations. And so with that, you got anything else on your brain, AJ? Nope, not a bit. Right on, right on. With that, we'll say... Adieu. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another Inkledew podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed making it. If you did enjoy it, please do us a favor and make sure to share it on all your own social media so that other people can find us and enjoy us as well. 